Well, first of all, I realized when I was picking out lessons, I, my theme for the day is patience, and so I ended up picking that gospel verse because it had patience in it, and I promise I'm going to look back at the other ones I picked for the rest of Advent, so we don't end our lesson with, you know, and so, so will you be tortured for eternity if you don't forgive. I just, it's hard for me to keep a straight face after you'll be tortured for eternity. The gospel of the Lord. That doesn't feel very gospel-y. I get what Jesus is saying, forgive. So I, I, I promise I'm going to revisit that. Um, I don't know what I was thinking when I picked that. So, um, well, uh, welcome again, everyone here. Back at the first Sunday in Advent. These four weeks, I'm going to go over some things, uh, kind of themes that Advent is about. Uh, highlight those themes Hopefully it will help us in our own journeys uh, towards Jesus, in our own reflections, in our spiritual journeys this month. Um, but of course, when it comes to this time of year, focusing on Jesus is often one of the hardest things to do and one of the least done things, uh, which is kind of a sad irony, I guess. You know, our lives, our lives are not like the good old days. I kind of Someone was telling, describing for me what Advent was like for my Nordic ancestors. And, um, you know, they would sit there and they'd get done with all the harvest, right? And then they would stock everything up and uh, they would have kept, take all their fish and they'd dry out their fish. You know, you got to get it through the winter and they'd, they'd kill their reindeer or whatever and dry all that out and cover it in salt. My relatives love to eat meat with salt. It did horrible things to their arteries. But it gets you through the winter, right? So you have this image of all these people, and you're sitting in, the, sitting in your farmhouse, and the snow's piling up, and the whole family sits around the fire, baking bread and telling stories. And I can just hear everybody today going, ah, isn't that cute? You sit around as a family telling stories in December. Have you seen my planner, Lars? And I'm like, hey, I get it, I get it. You know, there have been years I could show you my planner and it would look like you're just stuffed all day long, right? And, uh, and, you know, we know how this goes in December, right? You got all these things that not only is, you know, we know Christmas is coming, but you got all these end of the year things, end of the year reports, end of the year deadlines, end of the year financials. You got school programs at the end of the year, holiday parties, office parties, shopping, you know, who's got time to sit around the fire? Uh, I will admit, I'll make a little confession. I did go to Target and buy a fire pit to try to recreate that a little bit. I found my kids love to sit around the fire and talk as long as they can throw things into it and watch it catch fire. When it, when it burned down to coal, suddenly the sharing family stories part was never as exciting. Um, but it's a great irony, right? We prepare for Jesus' arrival by doing everything but preparing for Jesus' arrival. Uh, so we're stressed out by the time Christmas comes, you know, and you get there and you open up all the packages, and then you go, oh, thank God the time's over. Now I can chill. But it used to be the opposite. It used to be you chilled the month ahead of time, and then when Christmas came, you had 12 days of parties. And I think of that, maybe we should, maybe that's a program we should do at our church right? Twelve days of parties. We could put that on the marquee. It would take about a bunch of effort, uh, you know, and a few council waivers for various things, but, 
you know, tw- imagine that, put that on the marquee, Lord of Grace, 12 days of parties. Um, I'll start a frat boy ministry with that or something like that, I don't know. Um, but, you know, and, and I, I, it's, it's true. I, I bring this up probably every time when we get to this time of year because, you know, I, like most pastors, wish that the Advent season was a lot more maybe reflective, a little more spiritual, a little less busy. Uh, but I also do it because I, I think the time, it reminds me of a larger problem, a deeper problem we have in America that underlies all this busyness and that drives a lot of it. And that is anxiety over the future. Uh, I think it drives a lot of our busyness, a lot of our scheduling, uh, a lot of how we do work. It drives our politics. This fear of the future, worry of the future, anxiety about the future. And, you know, as someone who grew up in the 80s, right, we, we learned all about fear of the future, right? It was all about the nuclear war that was going to come. You know, it was in our pop songs. I, I remember sitting at a camp Bible study, <laughs> and we went, we went around the table. The question was, what would you do when the bomb drops? You know, we're eighth graders, and we all had an answer to that question. Uh, pretty much all of us decided we'd just run outside and enjoy the show because we'd seen so many Mad Max movies, we didn't want to, we didn't want to be around, um, you know, afterwards, uh, after nuclear annihilation had happened. Uh, I suppose if you're a 50s kid, then you really understood this well, right? You knew when the bomb dropped, you went and you hid under your desk because desk legs protect from gamma radiation. Um, <laughs> but our fear today is not so specific. It doesn't have a specific thing like that. And, and that's kind of what anxiety is. It's a fear without a specific, without that specific thing. It's more kind of generalized and, and, and open-ended, right? You know, I'm, I'm worried about uh, my neighborhood maybe going bad. I'm worried about the state of the country. I'm worried about my kids and their school and will they be safe or, or will there be drugs or a shooting or, or will my kids succeed? I don't know about this. Will they be able to get into a good school or not? There's so much anxiety that kind of drives us. Uh, I see it driving a lot of parenting, right? I, I see some families where, you know, their kids, I, I wonder if their kids ever get much of a childhood. Because it feels like all they do is scheduled stuff from sun up to sun down every day, every minute of every day. And it's like almost like childhood just becomes one giant, your whole existence up until, uh, you know, your junior, senior year is to mold yourself into what the admissions director at the right school will like. Right? So, you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't spend your summers, you know, going down by the lake and catching frogs and and, uh, you know, building forts and, and drinking out of the hose, you know. Of course, you know, these days, you know, you try to drink out of the hose and your friend Judy probably has a whole Facebook group dedicated to how big hardware is putting things in your hoses and you better watch out. Fear, right? Be afraid. And so what do you do? Instead of doing all that all summer, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're running from one drill to the next drill to the next drill to the next drill. And, and then you've got to update it, too, sometimes. Because lately we've heard that they like community service things, too. So now I'm going to care about the homeless and go down to the shelter because it looks good on my resume. And this is what you do. And you go, 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 go. And what drives it? What drives it is that anxiety about the future. 
You know, you want your kid into that college that has 40,000 applications for 1,600 spots. You know, you try to think of that at the same time that other colleges are closing down because they can't get enough people. But this is the world we live in. That anxiety drives it, right? Spending time by the lake drinking from the hose is time you could be spending training. You're wasting that time. It's a fear. It's, it's, a, it's, that, it's that generalized fear. And where does it come from? It comes from a lack of trust in the future. We do this because we have a lack. We don't trust that the future will be okay if we don't do it. We don't trust that things will work out. We don't trust that it'll do well unless we push all the time. Life is so full of anxiety today because the future is often a big, scary unknown. And when you don't have, when you don't have faith in the future, what do you do? You try to get control. Because con at least you think to yourself, well now, I may be a, I, I, I may a, I, if I can have as much control as possible and be pushing as hard as possible, at least I've done as much as I could possibly do to make sure the, make sure the future so I'm not leaving anything to chance. Control is often the drug to medicate our anxiety. And if you were to draw it out, if you were to draw out how this works, it might look something like this. See, I'm spending my advent on fancy graphics again. You have an uncertain future, and you start there. You have no faith in the future. You don't trust the future. So what does it do? It creates anxiety, worry. And how do you deal with it? Control, work, busyness. So we're not making life super busy because we always have to, but because it can be a good calmer for anxiety. It's a tool that makes that little voice in your head go away, you know, that says, you don't, you don't know your kids are going to be okay, you know? You don't know you're not going to get cut from that position. You don't know you won't get mugged. You don't know. You don't know these things. You know, and that little voice is sitting there saying, you don't know, and you think you're, oh, and you're like, I'm okay, and the voice is going, you don't know that. You don't know that. This is not a way to live. You know, always worried about what could happen, the danger that lurks behind every corner. This isn't a way to live, this is a way to survive. And it's not pleasurable, it's not terribly fun, it's not particularly spiritual, but there is another way. And the root of it isn't just to say, isn't just for me to stand up here and say, clear your calendars, don't worry, be happy. Right? Because that by itself does not make that little voice go away. What we need to do is change so that we have confidence in the future again. Because that will take away that anxious little voice. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 6. Paul's writing, as we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. The first Christians had a lot to worry about in their futures. I mean, they lived with the reality that any day they could get swept up by an angry mob, dragged out into the streets, and thrown in the gladiator ring. That was a very real possibility for Paul's people in Corinth. And the solution to living with this fear was simple. Don't be Christian. That was the Roman answer. You don't want to be afraid, don't be Christian. And so, you know, while we may worry about 
Property values, of course, who worries about property values today? You could sell your outhouse for a half million bucks in this market. But, you know, we worry about things like our neighborhood or what college my kids go to. They worried about getting thrown in prison and beaten and stuff. I mean, yet, with all that very real, very violent danger that the Christians in Corinth had to live with, they were more confident about the future and less anxious than we are. Why? Because they had faith in the future, because they believed the future was in God's hands and that God is going to make all this new. This is what Paul's talking about. This is the day of salvation. The day of salvation. And he believed it was coming soon. And it was right upon us. And the day of salvation wasn't just a feeling you had in your heart. It was a real, literal day. Jesus was going to come and make a new heaven and a new earth. He was going to change it all. Paul is saying that day is coming. Don't have fear about the future because the future is in God's hands. God's got this. And how did the people respond? They responded by enduring things I can't even imagine. Let's look at verses 4 through 10. I'm not going to read all of this. This is a laundry list of heart. This is a laundry list of bad things, boy. You know, endure. We, we, even though we've had afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless night, hunger. Oh my good lord! How's there anybody left in this church? I mean, if each one of them got one of those things, that, that, that'd be like everybody in the church would get one of these things. I mean, it goes on: dishonor, ill repute, treated as impostors, as dying. Oh, good Lord, as sorrowful. I mean, if there was a persecution Olympics, the church in Corinth gets a gold medal. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it, contrary to what all the sort of secular critics out there say. They didn't do it because they wanted to earn heaven. They weren't sitting there saying to themselves, you know what, I think I might go to heaven, but, it, but, but if I jump out there and get Lucius Maximus Gladiatorius, you know, judgmentalist, really mad at me, then I'll go into the gladiator ring and I'll get heaven for sure. That's what they always say. Oh, the early Christians just endured persecution because they wanted to earn heaven. And I'm like, no, you guys didn't spend enough time listening. It's because they already believe that God is coming and making a new heaven and an earth that they endure it. It's not in order to get it. It's because they believe they're going to get it. So if you were to draw it out, it would look something like this. You have God's promised future which brings peace and calm, inner peace and calm. The world may be a storm, but you've got peace and calm. And that leads to patience and endurance. This is the spiritual path. This is God's way for us. In every one of our lives, you know, we all have to decide what we're going to do, uh, how much we want to commit to, how much we want to schedule, how much we want to bite off, where to put our energies. You know, I can't make that call for you. You all have your own planners. You know, I can't tell you what to keep, what to cut. But I can show you a way to get out from under that fear and that anxiety that drives those decisions. And, and that involves, among other things, sometimes just sitting and putting a pause on some moments from time to time and deliberately being unproductive. You know, sit in prayer for a while with no lists or requests for God. Requests aren't bad. Just save that prayer for later. And just for a while, just sit and be. In the midst of total productivity, just sit and be for a little bit. And it doesn't need to be hours. You'd be amazed what 10 minutes of just sitting can do to you. And all the things that start going through your head and you realize, ah, 
wait, and it takes a little bit. It's almost like a detoxing. To sit still and interrupt the busyness with some wasted time with family and with God. And think about that future that God's going to make. I'd, I'd maybe even say meditate on it, right? Get out your Bibles, look at Revelation 21. The new heaven and the new earth. You know? And think about that. and Look, look at what God is doing in that, in that place. What that world is like. Think on that future and keep that in front of your head. Keep that in front of your consciousness. So, because with that in front of your consciousness, it can block out. It can begin to be a bit, little bit of an a, a act against that little voice that's talking. Because God has the future under control. This is something we really believe. God has the future under control. Whether it comes today or in a long time, whether it comes in another 3,000 years, whether Jesus doesn't come until my great descendants are sitting on Alpha Centauri, reading from the book of how the the bad slaves who are getting tortured for all eternity. But either way, whether it comes or now, or whether it comes later, it's the patience. And we have that patience because God has it under control. And we believe that God will make all things new. And that that is our future that we await for. And that we have some time here in Advent to spend reminding ourselves and thinking about it. Amen.